It's 2 a.m. And good morning. Again. All righty, let's see here. Children's Church. Looks like we've got them from upstairs. It's ready to go for even announcement. That means it's going to be a good day. Let's see. Lisa and Ernie have that. So 12 and under. They want to go over for Children's Church. And while they're headed over for that, if you want to go ahead and mark 178, almost persuaded in your hymnals. And for those that are logging into Facebook, uh, you will probably be most affected by this. I think my microphone has went on the blank, blink, so you may be affected by your the sound quality uh, this morning on the broadcast, and I'll see if I can get that fixed by next Sunday for sure. Certainly it's good to be here. Good to see everybody. All right, the last one's a hidden out. Good to be, be here with you, sharing God's Word with you. And uh, certainly a privilege to do that. If, you're, uh, if you are logging in Facebook or YouTube, we want to welcome you. If you're visiting, we invite all of you to be with us in person any chance that you have the opportunity. Well, no doubt, unless you've been in the woods for the past few days, you're aware that the Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade, which we know uh, allowed abortion on demand in this nation across all the states for all of its citizens. And that's, it's a wonderful thing, uh, in my opinion, that that has happened. But sadly, and as we know, it will not end abortion in this nation, only limit the states where it's accessible. And no doubt there will be efforts and, and uh, uh, probably on our government's part to make sure that uh, those people seeking out that service will have shuttle uh, services to that as well to accommodate their wishes. It's already being used, I'm sure as you've seen, if you've watched any news or seen or read any interviews, it's being used as a rally cry for the elections coming in November and beyond. And it will be that as well. Protest and violence has begun in our, in our nation. I've seen out uh, a story in Colorado, a, a uh, life center, much like Laurel Life Center, uh, that uh, helped women in that was burned, had messages uh, written in spray paint on the outside of the building, said that if abortions aren't safe, you aren't either. I've seen a post on social media last week from the, the uh, office in Corbin, AA pregnancy, that they had received a letter stating the same thing, that if abortion was overturned and it wasn't safe, they wouldn't be either. This is still a very serious issue in our nation, but I think it is something that is defining for our nation as well. When you step back and you look at this, and I was talking with Carolyn about this Friday, it's just one more thing that divides this country. But it really goes much deeper than that, in my opinion. I believe that it will expose or reveal where this nation stands either in or against God's Word. But something I want us to all understand as well, no more than our government, nor should they try, can legislate hate, as they've made hate crimes, uh, if you attack people of color, you can't legislate how somebody's heart feels. Uh, we can't expect them as well to legislate morality. Though we agree, and certainly I agree 
with this ruling. And we, we, we are all happy because of this ruling. But in effect, what we have allowed our government to do is legislate morality. And who is it that legislates morality or dictates morality to people? It's not elected officials. It's the Word of God. And who's the, whose responsibility is it to live out and, and to, to show that morality and how it affects people's lives? But Christians. So this morning, as we continue and we think about all of the things that's posted on social media, and I've seen, and I don't look at Facebook a lot. That's the only one that I use or have access to. I don't really use it that much. I've seen posts on there for, and, and these are folks that live right here in good old quiet southeastern Kentucky, okay? I've seen plenty of posts on there that support what has happened, and I see plenty of posts on there that, that were uh, against the fact of what had the Supreme Court ruled. I've seen a lot of comments that were made that shouldn't have been made uh, as this continues to divide where we are. We're going to start by looking at something this morning, so probably not surprising to you. I'm going to kind of address this issue of abortion, but more I want it to go deeper because this, this is just one of the things that uh, defines this nation. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, and we have this here on the screen. The word of the Lord, Jeremiah writes, came to him when he was called to be a prophet. And in verse 5, this is what that word told him, or the Lord told him. He says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And that's God speaking to Jeremiah, but it also gives us a clue as to what God has planned and how God knows us intimately, because that's part of the, part of the, the great discussion is that uh, a baby uh, in the womb is not a person. Well, if God knew Jeremiah before he was formed in the womb, I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ that that is a person. God knows us before we're formed in the womb, and that is everybody. Regardless if you acknowledge God, if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you worship some false God, it doesn't matter. You're part of God's creation, and he knows you. And that's what we have to understand as a nation again. So what I want to know is, and the question that I think that needs to be asked not only of ourselves, but as this nation as a whole is, do we know God? Because certainly God knows us. And I want to look at that and answer that question this morning, or at least give us some kind of understanding of what it means to know God. So if you will, we will begin and look at these points. First John chapter 2 is where we'll actually begin with this. And most of your references will come out of 1 John, so you can keep your finger in there. 1 John chapter 2 verse 4 is where we will begin. The first point is to know God means that we keep his commandments. 
John writes here in chapter or verse chapter two, verse four, he says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now that right there is a pretty pretty cut and dry statement, isn't it, that John says. If we say that we know God, if we say that we're a Christian, and we don't keep his commandments, we're a liar. And he is not in us. We're not in him. So that's the first way to know if you know God is do you keep his commandments? And I'm not going to attempt to go over all the commandments that the Bible gives that God gave to us. And I want to add something else. It's not just the Ten Commandments that we're talking about. I want you to look over in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22. It reads this. If men strive, now some of your translations may say fight, okay? If men strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her and yet no mischief follow or harm, maybe some of yours will say, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband will lay upon him and he shall pay as the judge determined. Now look at verse 23. And if any mischief or harm or death of the baby follow, then shall give life for life. Is that not pretty plain? Talking about the unborn here. We're talking about the unborn child. Two people are getting a fight and there's a pregnant lady around and, and uh, the fight causes the woman to get knocked down and we've all heard about women going into to premature birth because of a, a car accident or something like that. But this is talking about the life of an unborn child being taken because of a struggle outside of the and it says a life shall be given for a life. That's, now that's on an accidental part, okay? That's an accident. Two men fighting and, and they knock over a pregnant woman and cause her to miscarry, that's an accident. And if God says that life shall be given for life, in other words, that's the death penalty, where do you think that puts those that willingly end the life of an unborn child? I'll leave that up to you. I'm not, I don't have, that's a wonderful thing about God's Word. I don't have to tell you what my opinion is. My opinion doesn't matter in the slightest. Only the truth of God's Word matters. It's my job to bring it to you and to folks that's listening, folks that's watching, watching on uh, YouTube and Facebook. So where does that put someone, like I said, who intentionally harms an unborn child. And that's just one of the commandments I'm talking about. That's just one. You should read Exodus and Leviticus. Go through there and read and see what, and get familiar with God. Because that's one thing that this nation has forgotten. We have, we have forgotten the righteousness of God. We have, for some reason, in the New Testament era equated that no law means there's no law. When Jesus came to fulfill the law, that was to, to fulfill the law of salvation through sacrifice. The sacrificial system is wiped away. 
We don't, we don't take goats and bulls and, and birds and stuff and go sacrifice for sin. You don't bring a goat up here to me and, and uh, I sprinkle blood on it and then lead it out there in the woods and, 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 and it be a, a, a sacrifice for, the, for sin. If you want to know what God feels about certain areas, there's plenty of, of rules, the commandments that God gives us that shows us what's acceptable about rape and killing and, and incest and those items. God's not changed his mind on those things. He doesn't look at the birth of an unborn child, the rape of a woman, the murder of someone, incest. He doesn't view those things differently today than he did then. But we think he does because we can legislate these things in America. And that's what we have to understand as Christians. We don't want our government trying to legislate morality because they will certainly goof it up. Only God can legislate morality on a man's heart. It is our job to live out that morality. And we're going to look at this a little closer here in just a minute. So if you want to know what's acceptable with God and what's not acceptable with God, get in your Bibles, folks. Read your Bibles. You might be shocked to see what is acceptable. What you find acceptable that you find is contrary to what God says is not acceptable. And that's things that we need to know and do. Also says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, you want to turn over just a little bit to chapter 4. So number one, if you know God, you keep his commandments. Number two, if we know God, we must have love for others. 1 John 4, 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. I'm not the right way. Just a minute. <laughs> Sorry, that was 3, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Another just cut and dry. Plain, simple. If we don't have love, we can't know God. We can't know Jesus. God is love, he says. Jesus said that. Jesus, that was what Jesus displayed. That's what Jesus taught. Said if we saw Jesus, said if you see me, you see the Father. In fact, that's one of the main things that Jesus taught was love. And how he displayed that to those that society of his time found unlovable. Jesus was right there with them. And he was criticized for being there with the people that society said was unlovable. But that's the lessons that he taught us. Love, I think you would agree, is something that is lacking in this nation. Love for others. Oh, we love ourselves. We love ourselves big, but we don't love other people. We don't have compassion toward other people. We don't have the eyes of God to look at someone and see a soul. We only see a situation. So that's what we have to get back to. I've heard people say how that they hate this certain group because of their conservativeness. And I've heard people say how they hate this certain group because they're so liberal. You see, we, we, we break these up. Christians have been accused of being full of hate because we stand against sin. Or we say we do. 
We have an example in the scriptures of how that sin is that what God hates. He hates sin. Because why? Well, it destroys lives. It destroys families. And ultimately, it sends people to hell. That's why God hates sin. And that's why we should hate sin. It's common. We've all heard it, probably said it ourselves. Hate to sin, but love the sinner, right? Now, that's not in the Bible, but the concept is accurate. Because just like everybody in this room, at one point in time, was a sinner that was not saved. Now, here's what we all are right now, those that have accepted Christ. You're still a sinner, but Jesus Christ is your Savior. We love ourselves so big, we think that, oh, well, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I'm no longer a sinner. I have trouble every day, folks. I have to fight. I go through struggles that I have to make and, and, uh, and make myself back up and say, wait a minute, Rob. That's not the right voice. That's what I've been using here lately. I've been praying that the Lord will let me hear and obey the right voice. Remember a couple weeks ago. And it's every day, folks, that I fight this struggle. And it may just be me. I'm not pushing my weakness off on you. You folks may have it all together. But for me, it's every day I'm out there fighting the battle. We got to have love. We got to have love for people. We can't be viewed as people that are hateful. But we got to stand against sin. You got to stand against sin. So I ask, do we love the sinner. We say that, oh, hate the sin, love the sinner. But do we love the sinner? You think about that and ask yourself that question. Do people that hate us, hate us because we try to follow God's commandments? Or is it because that we're a reminder of the sin that they're in? Well, they say they're a Christian, but they're doing the same thing I'm doing, so what's up with that? Turn with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. How can we say we're a disciple, a follower, a believer, a Christian, if we don't have love for others? And that's what Jesus said will be the very thing that sets us apart. Is that we have love one for another. So if we're going to know God, we have to first and foremost keep his commandments and we have to have love for others. And you also, as we continue to look at what John wrote in his later letters, chapter 5, verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We must be in Christ. Christ. A lot of religions in this nation. A lot. Twelve mainstream, and who knows how many others. All of those 12 are not believers that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you must accept him as your Savior to be saved. Many different messages are being preached on Sunday mornings and other days of the week all throughout this country. 
Sunday school lessons that differ from what we believe, what the Bible says. Let me make that back that up. It's more important to say it that way. Many Sunday school lessons and many sermons that are contrary to what the Bible says are being preached in this nation every day. If we're going to know God, we must be in Christ. Those who profess to be Christians engage in the very same activities that God's commandments define as sin. I'll say that again. Those who profess to be Christians in Christ, I must say, engage in the very same activities that God's commandment says is sin. And I'm not going to go over the list. But you know what I'm saying. We all know what I'm talking about. We've all heard and all probably said and told a joke about seeing somebody out drunk on Saturday night and then seeing them in church on Sunday morning singing in the choir. And we've all probably talked about jokes kind of along those lines. But the sad thing about it is there's truth to that. Christians are engaging in the same activities as those that have no relationship with God and they think that they're okay. Well, it's okay to do that because Jesus Christ is my Savior and, and he'll, he'll forgive me of my sin. Well, my question is how can you knowingly engage in sin as a Christian and say that you are in Christ? Because what I understood was that if I'm in Christ, I'm supposed to work to become more like Christ each and every day. I thought when I was raised up out of the baptistry that I was raised up a new creation in Christ that had turned my back on the sinful life that I had led and was looking forward to a life more holy, more righteous each day by day. Not saying I'm holier than now. Not saying I'm more righteous than any of you. I'm saying... I have to look forward instead of behind. I have to leave behind those things that God says are not acceptable, shun them, turn, run, whatever I have to do, stay as far away from that so I can get closer to God. That was my concept of being a Christian. Maybe I've got it backwards. I don't know. Maybe I've got it wrong. But that's what I see going on. If I'm, if I'm in Christ, I'm supposed to oppose sin. All sin. We like to divide this up. Major sins, little sins. I've not found that in the Bible. I've not found where God said, well, this sin is really bad, but this sin is really, really bad. It's sin, folks. We should oppose and shun and turn our back on all sin. Because if we don't do that, you know what that makes us? A hypocrite. When we say that we oppose sin and that we are in Christ, but yet we engage in those things that we're supposed to uh, oppose, then we're a hypocrite and we're not in Christ. Should I sin more that grace should abound? Heaven forbid. So we have to be in Christ if we know God. We have to oppose sin if I'm in Christ. Have to give our full effort every day not to engage in it or to judge people. 
who participate in sin. Well, we can judge the action and say, oh, that's something I shouldn't engage in. And here's what we should be doing for people. We should warn them. We should warn them. Well, it ain't my business. It ain't none of my business to warn somebody that's in sin. It'd be in your business if you knew that there was a hole and it was dark outside and you see somebody walking down a path and there was a big six-foot deep hole, you'd say, there's a hole up there. Be careful. Wouldn't you? Not your responsibility, is it? But why would you do it? Because even though you didn't know somebody, you cared enough about them, you didn't want them to fall down in the hole and get hurt, right? We don't take sin serious. I don't really think, I think one thing that this nation has forgotten is the serious consequences and that there is consequences for sin. Because we wouldn't have such a flippant attitude about sin if we didn't think there was consequences for sin. Rest assured, if somebody steps off in a six-foot hole in the dark and falls, there's going to be consequences. You're going to get hurt. It could get hurt severely. Rest assured, there's consequences for sin, and they always have been. But somehow, in our infinite wisdom as society, we have decided that there's some of those sins that the consequences are not so bad that we don't have to worry about it. We can just go on and engage in it. I don't know where it comes from. More and more liberal and further and further away from God's views is where it comes from. And I'm not even talking about political stuff. I'm just saying as we somehow allowed ourselves to, to say and distance ourselves from the truth of God's word, then we have continued to engage in sin on different levels because of the consequences are not as severe for me to tell a little white lie. God says lie. Doesn't say white lie, minor lie, a lie to keep from hurting somebody's feelings, a lie to keep me from getting in trouble, a lie to keep me from facing consequences of sin. It's lie. Period. We must be in Christ if we know God. And then finally, oh, had one more scripture reference. I wanted to go there. John 17. I knew it would be hard for me to stay. <laughs> Stay focused on my notes this morning, and I'm trying my best. John 17, verse 23. Jesus speaking here, and we just studied this last week at, and on Wednesday night, and you're invited. I'll take this opportunity to invite everybody out for Wednesday night service. John 17, 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Talking about being in Christ. Jesus says that he's in the Father and, and that his followers here, he's talking about the disciples, are in him. But that relates to all of us in the same way. That we are all joint heirs. That when we call ourselves Christians, that means we put ourselves in Christ. And then there's one final point. It comes out of Romans. Paul writes here, Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We must receive God's Spirit. Do I need to read that scripture again? 
I think I do. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. We have to receive the spirit. God's spirit. So what does that mean to me? Well, I don't really understand, Rob, what that means. Well, it means that we allow the Holy Spirit to guide our lives to, to help develop the fruit of the Spirit. Here's a little example. We all know that back in the spring we had blooms on apple trees and whatever kind of fruit tree you've got. With the bloom begins what? Begins the development of the fruit. You don't go out the first day and pick off a bloom and start eating blooms and say, boy, that's the best apple I've eaten in my life, do you? No. But slowly over time, that bloom turns into a, 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 little, a little bud of an apple and it begins to grow and grow and mature and mature, finally till it comes to its fullness of being whatever fruit God designed it to be and then we can harvest that fruit and enjoy it. Galatians chapter five, verse 22. Here's the blooms that we ought to be seeing in the lives of Christians and those blooms maturing daily and weekly and yearly till they come to full fruit. Fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now that's what God directed Paul right here. And to say to the group at Galatians, the church at Galatia, but he's also saying it to the church at Locust Grove and all the other churches that listen and read God's word and, and all the other folks that read, these are the things that reflect whether we are in the spirit. How much love do we have? How much peace do we have? How much patience or long-suffering? How meek are we? And I'm not saying meekness is weakness. Meekness, temperance, joy, faith, goodness. As those things develop in our lives, as those blooms turn to the buds, turn to the apples, turn to the full fruit and fully ripen, so should these in the Christian. Our lives should be marked by those to receive the Spirit. We should rely upon the Spirit to guide us in our daily walk. And that's what we have to do as Christians. If we displayed more of these fruits, full fruits, this country would be a different country. And notice the first one on the list, what was it? Love. And what was point number two? We have to have love. Now in light of what we see going on in this nation, I want us to each and every one examine ourselves in this coming week and then also think about our country, folks. Does this country know God? Do we know God? If you can't go back and identify something that God says is wrong and you're doing it 
and you're willfully engaging in that, you need to rethink some things, folks. And as a nation, we need to rethink these things. Not legislatively. You understand what I'm saying? This has to be a majority of people led by God. And you know what the scary part of it is right now? According to a lot of issues that we see, a lot of things that's divided this country over the past 36 months are things that are dividing whether people that know God and people that don't know God. I'm just going by what fruit. The, the Bible says it's okay to judge a tree by the fruit that it bears, okay? I'm not judging anybody. I'm just judging the things that I see. Here's something that I want us to think about. I saw a post on social media, and again, I don't often quote things that I see on there, but this one was good. And I agree with it. And I have something to add to it. And I don't remember it word for word. And maybe some of you saw it and will be able to, to, to know exactly what I'm talking about. But a person wrote about that if after uh, we don't, after having Roe versus Wade overturned, help those who are facing a pregnancy that they are not prepared for, all celebration is for nothing. If we don't make adoption for those children a viable option, all the celebration is for nothing. And I'd like to add this myself. For right now, we may not realize it. Now, I'm, I was eight years old when Roe versus Wade was ruled on. I have no memory, really, of life without it. We in this nation and we as Christians have a do-over. Do you realize how rare that is? That you get a do-over as a nation? We have a do-over, folks, on this issue. We have a second chance that if we do not act on it according to God's word, we may never get another second chance on other important issues. We have, I, have heard the, I have heard the stories of older folks, older Christians talk about how back in the old days that the church took care of people in the community. They didn't rely on the government, but the church expected, with that help, they expected the people to do better. And somewhere we've lost that, we've kicked that responsibility off on our government. We like to defer a lot of those things. We want you to legislate our morality that we should actually be living ourselves. We want you to take care of the people because, hey, I pay taxes. You take my tax money and you take care of the people. And the government will. The government will make them dependent upon their care. Churches never did that. So here's what I want to add to that as well about this second chance. We have to start teaching, first and foremost, our kids about sex and what God has designed for the man and the woman and marriage and when all this should be taking place. That's the first responsibility. Somewhere we, as a nation, and I'm not indicting anybody in this room, but I'm saying somewhere in this nation we've dropped that one. So that's the first thing we have to do. And stop... Again, we should not be deferring that to our government to teach that through our school system because they have removed God and his morality from our government and our school system. Okay? 
So we also have to look at these women and these babies, born and unborn, with the same eyes that God looks at them with, with love and compassion. We have to make sure they have the resources to raise a child if they choose not to give it up for adoption. If they, if they choose to give a child up for adoption, then we have to, as a church, as a whole, as a people, as a whole, to take these children into our homes and adopt them. We, have, we all know people, and I'm not knocking it at all, we all know people who have gone over to foreign countries to have to have to go to foreign countries to get a baby. And that's fine. Because I understand it's harder to get one here than it is over there. Why? We should be striving to make sure that adoption is a viable option for those that do not or cannot, for whatever reason, keep the child. And this is the do-over that we have, folks. My generation and the generations after me had no choice but to live this life, well, almost 50 years, of never hearing anything other than about Roe versus Wade and abortion. Now, you folks that are older than me, you got, the, you, you know, the, we got a second chance. Let's see now as a nation if we as Christians are willing to put our actions where our mouths have been for 50 years. And if we're not, if we're not willing to go out there and do the things to make sure that abortion is not needed, which you may not know or you may know, you know, actually the rate of abortion has trended down about 13% since 2016, which is great. Though still far too many. One is too many. But we as a nation must, we as Christians must pick up that responsibility and go out and have love and compassion and supply the needs of those who do not. Because here's the thing about it. If it's not the church's responsibility to love people, whose is it? Somebody go ahead and raise your hand and tell me. If it's not Christians' responsibility to love people, whose is it? Okay. If this nation is to ever know God, it's up to us to act like we do. It's up to us to display the things that Christ taught us. It's up to us to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. It's up to us to give up some kind of a frivolous activity to fund something that saves a soul. Because the world is not going to do it. We know what the answer from the world is. We'll set up a clinic here. We can take care of that for you. You can go home and act like it never happened. But it does not do that folks that's something else that they won't tell you and I'm not going to get into that today long reaching effects mentally on people that have this here's the simple truth it all starts with God it all starts with knowing God because he knows us rest assured he sent his son Jesus Christ here so that we might have a way to escape eternal damnation in hell. 
And if you are not in Christ, if Christ is not your shepherd, if Christ is not your Savior, if you do not hear his voice and he knows you by having your name in the Lamb's book of life, you are doomed eternally to hell. Period. But you can reverse that by believing God's word from hearing it, repenting of your sin, confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior, being buried with him in the likeness of his death in baptism, raised that new creation, having received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, and you walk faithful forward, turning your back on sin and all of that that you came out of, until Christ returns or work all the way. We have Christians in this room that may have things that they need to get themselves back right in the right relationship with God in light of this morning's sermon, in light of the truth. We have Christians that are going to be curious and say, well, I just wonder what Exodus does say or I wonder what is in Leviticus. And we're going to have Christians in this room or watching on one of these videos that's going to be curious. I don't know if it'll be one or 50 we're going to have somebody go through there and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize. And you're going to need to get yourself back in the right relationship and repent and turn away from that. Period. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Almost persuaded. And, and I pray that you're not almost persuaded to go back and read and learn more about God and what he finds acceptable and what he finds not acceptable. And I pray that, that you're not almost persuaded to, to commit yourself to Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Savior this morning. Because here's the simple fact about things. There is a price for sin. There is consequences for sin. And that rightfully so, the same way for unrepented sin. Okay? We have no promise, not a person in this room, not a person watching or listening, has any promise of tomorrow. You don't want to go out of here if you have an opportunity to get yourself right with the Lord, and that's what I want to encourage you to do. I'm not trying to scare nobody. I just want to make sure that you know all of your options, and you have two, life and death. If you have a decision to make, would you come as we stand and sing 178, Almost Persuaded, the first and the third verse.